TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's the Score North Twin Show. And welcome to the Score North Twin Show. It is, as always, Judd and Jake, uh, twins. Jake just today taking, as we record this on Monday, taking four or five uh, from the Tigers after taking two of three during what turned into an eight-game homestand. Uh, now the Twins will go and play on the road. And, of course, in the year of the pandemic, it means they're going to go on Tuesday and play doubleheader in St. Louis. So that St. Louis can have an extra off day. So the Twins are going to play a doubleheader on Tuesday in St. Louis and then be off Wednesday and Thursday and return home against Cleveland. And it's all screwy. But as you, you pointed out uh, just before we started to record this, taking four or five from Detroit and being this successful in winning, uh, what, six games on this homestand, basically means that the Twins are going to be, in some way, shape, or form, in the eight-team American League playoff field. Yeah, I mean, I think Detroit was their biggest challenger just because of how many head-to-head games they had left with them. Uh, and I really felt like going into the series, as long as they took three, uh, they'd be in great shape. But if they took any more than that, it would pretty much uh, uh, bury the Tigers. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, the games were very close. Uh, they could have lost. Uh, they Really, you could make an argument they could have lost uh, at least three, maybe four out of five in this series, but they found a way to win four of them. Uh, and it's a, it's a good series for the Twins. They did exactly what they had to do. The offense still doesn't look great, uh, but they've set themselves up now where they have a big cushion. Uh, they can rest guys who need to rest, get guys at bats who need to get at bats. And importantly, after this doubleheader, um, tomorrow against St. Louis, they'll have, they'll have played uh, more games this season than any other team in MLB, which means they have a number of off days coming up, and that will be key for them as they head into October and try to get some of these guys healthy. So great series for the Twins. All right, question. First round, best of three. And I, I think we did this exercise either last podcast or uh, two Score North uh, Twins podcasts ago. What is your – because I think this is going to be great fun to debate – what is your starting rotation, uh, not in a not in a five game, but in that first round? So you have three pitchers t- to choose from after what we've seen from uh, Pineda in back-to-back starts, including Monday in which he pitched what? He pitched uh, seven innings, gave up three hits, two runs, two walks, eight strikeouts, and looked absolutely fantastic. What is your rotation in that first round right now? Yeah, subject so we, to change, too. Absolutely. This is always subject so, to change. Um, when, when we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, I said I needed to see a little more from Pineda that his first start against a really good White Sox team was impressive, but I wanted to see more, uh, and we saw more today. I mean, Detroit's actually a pretty decent offensive team. They're not phenomenal, but it's not Detroit, the Detroit Tigers of last year. Uh, and he shut them down. You know, he looked great. He was typical Pineda, not issuing, you know, many free passes. He, he struck out over a batter an inning and, and got through seven, pitched over 100 pitches. This is now enough for me that at this point, uh, he's my third starter. So I think I go um, Maeda, game one, Barrios, game two, Pineda, game three. And of course, you've got Hill, Dominic, and potentially Odorizzi uh, that you could handcuff to any of those guys and have them ready in case, uh, say, Barrios is not sharp coming out of the gate in game two. But yeah, Maeda, Barrios, Pineda. Where are you at right now? Maeda, for sure. In fact, I saw um, our guy Phil at some point in time during the course of Pineda's start today, he tweeted out that Pineda is his game one starter. I'm not there yet. I am Maeda, who I think has been fantastic, has done everything that you could have possibly asked uh, to start game one. He's my game one starter. I think, oh boy, this is tough. I guess 
given that I'd like to potentially win the series as quickly as possible or game two is going to be a must win, I guess I go Pineda in that game now. So I echo your thoughts. Uh, Barrios and Hill probably handcuffed in game three. Hill has gotten to the point now, um, Jake, where he really scares me. Not because he's not good, but I don't know what you're going to get as far as uh, stamina goes. It just it doesn't seem to be there consistently. Uh, and so I would want him tied to Brios. And the way that Brios has pitched of late and uh, the start that he made, again, uh, that we talked about, I believe, on our last podcast, on this homestand, I'd probably give Brios the ball in game three. But I really think as far as the separator goes right now, as we talk, uh, I really think the separation to me is pretty clear. It's Maeda, Pineda, deserve it. Brios starting to prove that. Not there completely yet. Uh, but Pineda, man, I just like the fact he gets the ball. He throws the ball. There's no real drama here right now. And um, he's the type of guy that I could see a playoff environment not being too big for him, no pun intended. I think he would be, I think he would be fine. Yes. And he's, he's pitching big games uh, with the Yankees and that certainly helps. Uh, it might depend on matchups too. There might be certain offenses that you feel better about a guy like Pineda. Like, you know, like if you're facing a really elite offense, I think I would take my chances with Barrios because Barrios's ceiling is higher than Pineda's, right? He can shut down a team like the White Sox or the Yankees when they're healthy if he's really, really on. Whereas I feel like a guy like Pineda um, is a really good pitcher and he's pitching really well, but he's never going to be that. He's never going to give you ace stuff, right? His ceiling is probably more of like a number two. Um, and so maybe it depends. If you're facing Cleveland first round, maybe, yep. maybe you go Pineda. Uh, and if you're facing, um, you know, Oakland or the White Sox, uh, a team with a really good offense, then, then maybe you go with Barrios. I don't quite I, – I, I love Phil, and, I, and he's a great baseball mind, but I don't know how you put Pineda over Maeda. I mean, what has Maeda done to, to demonstrate anything other than he's the best pitcher on the staff and he deserves to pitch game one? What, what was Phil's argument there? I didn't see one. I, I just saw that he had, um, I believe his rotation, I believe it was Pineda, Maeda, uh, was it, Bur- Bur- oh, Barrios tied to Hill in game three, Domnek four. Yeah. I, I, look, look, Domnek has been great, okay? For the most part, he's been great. But if I'm putting together a rotation in, in which I'm probably going to, especially in that first round, have to hurt some feelings and make decisions that fans and certain people aren't going to like, I just find it very tough to give Dominic the ball when I possibly have three, if not four guys above him that in that environment, I probably trust more. Hill's, Hill's the one, if Hill was going fine, I'd start him, but he's really not. Um, but I just, the whole thing about the faction of fans who say, Dominic's been great. He should start a playoff game in that first round. I'd like him coming out of the bullpen, and I just, I just really believe in, in that brief of series where it's going to be you blink and it's done, good or bad. Um, giving the ball to Dominic in a series like that to me is a little bit tempting fate because I believe ultimately if things are going well, you have better options. I, I like Dobnik to pitch a couple of innings in that series for sure. I love mm-hmm. Dobnik with a lead because I think when he's on, he has the ability to get you through, say, a fourth and a fifth inning very quickly, right? Get some ground balls, mix in a strikeout, hopefully not walk uh, many guys, although he's been struggling with that a little bit lately. Uh, but I love him with, say, a two or a three-run lead to just give you some quick middle innings. But I agree. As much as I love Dobnik and he's been great and you can't ignore the numbers, 
uh, I don't start him. I he's he's he pitches in that series, but yeah, he's not he's not a starter for me. Absolutely. All right. Um, let's talk about the production, and it comes in so many different ways, Jake, and it's just off the charts when this guy is going well. And if you think that um, this show has become a Byron Buxton praising apologist forum, you're exactly right. Yes. My God, Jake. I mean, Saturday night. Let's just start there, okay? There's a lot of guys, and God bless them all because they're talented. There are a lot of human beings who have played professional baseball who have walked off games with big hits, right? Home runs, all right? That's the norm, right? How many people in baseball are capable of walking off a game with what is essentially a ground ball out to shortstop? Because that conclusion to Saturday's game, to me, is why Byron Buxton is just so damn special. He hits, uh, as far as I could tell, maybe the the, uh, shortstop, Castro, for the Tigers, could have charged the ball a little bit more, maybe. But, like, he did nothing fundamentally wrong. He fielded the ball. He threw the ball. It was a good throw. And Buxton just flat out beat out that throw. Nelson Cruz trots home. I mean, these are the reasons why I am so enamored with Byron Bucks. Judd, I needed a cigarette after that, uh, that walk-off hit. That was phenomenal. It was just vintage Buxton. Uh, and and what, what I loved about it is he put a swing on that ball. I think he called it a T-ball swing after the he game. Did. He put a swing on that ball. Like, that was his plan. That was his intention. It wasn't just that he, you know, hit one off the end of the bat, a little dribbler, and he got lucky. He was trying to just put a slow grounder in play and beat it out, right? That's part of what was so cool and exciting about that moment is is hearing his his postgame comments and it's like yes you know he took he saw a, a slider coming in down and away and he knew if he could if he just sort of threw his bat at it and took a little half swing it would be a slow dribbler and he'd have a chance to beat it out and that's exactly what he did he executed it perfectly um but yeah to see a walk-off hit uh from him in that fashion was just phenomenal and you know you combine that with his power i mean he hit a home run today uh, you know, in his gold glove defense. We've talked about this so many times and, and we're both huge bucks and apologists, but I mean, he just impacts the game in so many ways. And we were tweeting about this uh, the other night. There was a small play in that game um, that he eventually walked off. It was the seventh inning. Uh, the Tigers had the bases loaded. Uh, and I believe uh, Candel- it might've been Ke- uh, Bonifacio, I think hit a, a single and Candelario didn't want to uh, challenge Buxton's arm. Um, even though it was, you know, it wasn't super sharply hit. Now the bases were loaded with nobody out, so you understand why you hold the runner. But if that's Jake Cave or Kepler in center, you Good probably one. you probably send him because he'd be yes. safe against those guys. But Buxton delivers a you know a missile home, uh, holds the runner, and they don't end up scoring anymore that inning uh, to keep the lead at two, and then they eventually come back and win. Those are the type of little plays that Buxton makes that have a huge impact on the game. I mean, they're just a totally different team. The record speaks for itself when he plays and when he doesn't. But, he's, he's, a, he's a dynamic player. But, like, to your point, it's the small things, too. Yeah. It's not just the big things. It's not just the wow plays. Yes, when, when he um, hits a home run or robs one like he did from Encarnacion, uh, I believe, in the second game of the series, which was, by the way, his first game back. That's all awesome and cool to watch. But what you're saying, I think, is exactly true, and it's what I guess fascinates me so much with Buxton. It's the little things that you really don't mark down in the scorebook that also change games entirely. On Saturday, so so before he, he got the 
walk-off hit to shortstop in the ninth. His at-bats went like this, Jake. They went strikeout swinging in the third, strikeout swinging in the fifth, ground ball to third out in the eighth. And here's what I love, to your point. Again, he says, okay, so I'm not that good at the plate this night. What can I do? T-ball swing. Like, think about that intelligence, too. Mm-hmm. Like, instead of being like, I'm going to crush this baseball. I'm 0 for 3. I've had, had a bad night. Damn it, I'm mad, right? Because he can, if he tries to, he can also strike out. Um, I love the philosophy of, okay, screw it. What can I do to win this game? Use my speed. Like, think about that. The, 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 the thought processes that have to churn through your head going into that at bat to come up with the philosophy of, I've really had sort of a bad night, so what can I do? Because if I continue to do what I've been doing at the plate in my first three at-bats, it's likely not going to work. These are the things that, because I think we've seen a lot of players on this team and probably around the big leagues, Jake, whose philosophy is, I'm going to go up there and hit a home run, or or I'm going to hit that ball off the wall, or something like that. For Byron Buxton to take the approach that he did and basically say, ground ball to short. It's slow. I don't care. I'm going to beat out the ball. That, t- that takes the, the science of what he's doing to me to a really impressive place. It's what I love about Buxton and what I love about Lamont Way Jr. Both of those players have a really high baseball IQ. They know exactly what their skill set is. They know what their limitations are. Uh, and they have catered their game around around their strengths and to minimize their weaknesses. Lamont Way Jr. is not a power hitter. Uh, he doesn't, you know, slash the ball all over the ballpark. He's mo- mostly a single hitter. He has a little bit of power, mostly a single hitter, but he gets on base. He has an amazing eye, and he knows it, and he takes a ton of walks. He, dr- he puts together great at-bats. You know, this series, even when he uh, didn't get on base, he was going 3-2, fouling off a bunch of pitches, getting the, the, uh, the opposing pitcher's pitch count up, letting the guy on deck see that pitcher and see all of their pitches. Those little things matter. Remember mm-hmm. Denard Span when he was the leadoff hitter talking a lot about that. Um, that as a leadoff hitter, especially in the first bat of the game, it's not all about getting on base. It's about seeing a lot of pitches and letting your teammates see a lot of pitches. Um, Wade understands those types of things. He takes, I think, the best at bats on the team. And Buxton understands his skill set and has developed his game around that. And now he knows who to listen to and who not to. Exactly right. Uh, Wade in the fifth inning on Sunday, okay? He grounds the first, so it's not a successful end to the at-bat, but the Twins scored four runs in that frame, and before he grounded a first, he had a 12-pitch at-bat. Right. So that's exactly what you're talking about. So he worked the count. He worked the pitcher. Um, that's something a lot of guys can't do or won't do or don't care to do. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, th- those are things that I would think fundamentally have to impress Falvey and Baldelli just as, as uh, signs of, I might not be the best player all the time, but I get what I can do, do well. Because, and Wade, you know, today steps in at first base. Ideal, absolutely not, but he can do it. Yeah. Um, I just, I love, I love guys that get who they are, that get the skill set of, of what makes them who they are and can contribute in that way. And again, it can be small stuff. But it's absolutely imperative to, to a team's success, I think, to have guys who get that. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And I think that's why I prefer, personally, Lamont Way Jr. over 
uh, Jake Cave. I just think Wade knows his game a little bit better and takes better at bats overall. All right. From the guys that understand the game, the nuance, the nuance of baseball, the delicate nuance, the, the, the dance that must be done for success <laughs> to a guy with, you know, let's admit it, a lot of talent, a lot of talent. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to start off this portion of the podcast, Jake, to you by telling you this, I've decided to embrace it. I'm calling it the Eddie Rosario experience and I'm embracing it because if it's not going to get him benched, and if seemingly no one's really going to get mad besides like Jake DePew and Judd and that, and that portion of the world, I am in what we saw Sunday. If you were allowed to pay for a ticket right now to go see that ball game was worth the price of admission because of just the totality of the Eddie Rosario experiment experience, which started on Sunday and sort of continued on Monday with a double that scored three runs and then found and then found our guy, the hero of our story, standing between second and third base, sort of shrugging and being like, I guess I shouldn't have gone. Just tag me out now. I, I, I'm embracing it, Jake. Sorry. I'm embracing it. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else you can do at this point. I mean, you, you, if you're not going to bench him for those mistakes, like you said, and you can't bench him long term because he's too good and there aren't, you yes. know, you don't have enough options um to do that but yeah if you're not going to bench him then you have no choice but to roll with it but it's just man he he if he didn't do that crap if he just tightened it up a little bit he would be a superstar Aaron Boone tighten it up yes yes exactly but yeah I mean the the base running so I know he said he didn't see Tony Diaz um which you know I, I went back and watched that play a number of times and uh, you know, Diaz was a little bit late with the, with the giving the sign and he, he didn't, he didn't have, you know, his arms fully extended or whatever, but like Rosario was also looking back at the play instead of picking up his third base run. Uh, third yes. base coach. So like, even if yes. you didn't see him, I mean, your eyes should be locked on your third base coach. So that was a ridiculous play that ended up really costing them because I think they probably score more than they do in that inning. If he just stays at third with no outs. And it just makes no sense. There are no outs. You don't risk. It's just, oh, it just drives me crazy. And it cost him dearly. It cost it him absolutely dearly. It did. It did. And then the play off the limestone, like, okay, I, I want to talk about this for a second. Okay. I get that that's a weird play. You, your instinct tells you uh, that that ball is a ground rule double because it, it seemingly hit outside of the, of the playing field. But right. listen. He's been the starting left fielder for the majority of the past six seasons, right? Like he for sure has the most starts of any left fielder um, in target field at target field in twins history. Yeah. The bench knew it all, you know, everybody on the bench knew the ground rule. Cause they didn't, you know, Baldelli didn't even go out to talk to the umpire, let alone, you know, request a review. Um, how do you not know the ground rule of the position that you've been playing in that stadium for six years. How do you not know that rule? Like, yes, it's a weird play. It hasn't happened before. Uh, it, it's, but, like, you have to know the ground rules of your own stadium. And here's the thing. If there's any confusion at all, any confusion at all, or any uncertainty, you just play it out. Just play it out. Just go run and pick up the ball, throw it in, say to yourself, well, I think this is a ground rule double, but 
you know, there's, it, it's not going to hurt anything to just run after the ball and throw it in because guess what? The base runners are still running around the bases. Like, it, it was just, I mean, come on, man. And I know that, that Morneau and Dick were confused about it, but I went back and listened to uh, the radio broadcast. If you have MLB TV, you can go back and listen to the radio broadcast of these games. Provis knew it immediately. Gladden knew it immediately. And you could hear Gladden as Provis is still giving the call saying, and Eddie's just standing there. You can hear Gladden in the background going, oh, Eddie, no. Oh, Eddie. And, and Gladden immediately says the ground, he goes to the ground rules, he confirms it. He says, yes, that ball is in play. They knew it. They knew it. Baldelli knew it. And if you're the left fielder of the Twins, you just have to know it. And again, even if you don't, like, just play it out. It was just, those plays are infuriating. And, you know, he did that a lot as a rookie. Um, he took the extra base a lot. He got thrown out sometimes. Other times he was, uh, you know, really aggressive and it paid off. And you thought, okay, he's a fun player. He's exciting. But you figured he'd tone it down, you know, at some point over these six years. He's now, what, 26, 27, 28. Like, he's going to hit free agency in a year. And he's still playing the exact same way. He's still making these unbelievable, remarkable plays and mixing them in with just idiotic plays. Did another one today. It's just never going to change. And it's just too bad for him because he's costing himself a lot of money. He has the talent to get a huge contract and he's not going to because everybody in the league is aware of, of these mental mistakes. This has to drive Rocco crazy, doesn't oh, it? Yes. Like he never, he'll never basically dump on the guy and I don't really think he benches him, but it's got to drive Rocco. Like the fundamental principle of not knowing a ground rule at your ballpark. Because you know what? If this was Fenway or something weird and the Twins went there, I'd be like, well, you probably should, because you're right, play the play out. Just play it out. And unless the umpire throws up his hands to say, ground rule, double, you keep going. Uh, But, you know, if this had been in Baltimore or Fenway Park or something, you might be like, okay, that's not great, but. um, But, yeah, it's in your ballpark. It is in your ballpark, and you are paid millions of dollars to play in that ballpark and to know a ground rule that, by the way, is on the website. Yeah, it's on, yeah like, exactly. like it's not hidden somewhere. It's on the website. All you have to do is say, I wonder what would happen if the ball goes off the limestone. I mean, do I think it's goofy? Yeah. Doesn't matter what I think. So, but yeah, he, he is, I've just decided, believe it. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to embrace the experience because the experience seems to bring something new every day. And he's also, the great thing about him too, Eddie is the guy that you work with who he's not bad at what he does. Right. But he's always trying to shortcut things. And, and you're finally to the point of you think that your friend is, or your uh, colleague is going to get fired. Right. Cause you're like, okay, this can't keep up. This person is screwed up on Monday, Tuesday. And then they'll come to work on Thursday. Just have an unbelievable day. Like the greatest day of all time. And you'll be like, I guess they're safe now. That's Rosario. Mm-hmm. Like for every for every bleep up, which, you know, a lot of them are just fundamentally not paying attention, he'll then come back and, like he did yesterday, he'll homer. Or today, before he gets hung out to drive between second and third, three-run double. So he's always the guy that does just enough based on talent to make up for the fact that mentally he's not there probably, what, three to four innings per game, do you think? That's fair to say. Like, he's just not there. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say he's not there for a, a, a portion of the time that he's playing when he should be. And, you know, physical mistakes never bother me. Like, yep. if a guy's in a big slump, 
um, or, you know, they make an error, like a key error or whatever, but they're, you know, it's not a lack of focus. It's just, they make a physical mistake. Like, okay, it's, you know, when guys go in slumps, we might rip them, but like, it doesn't bother me to the same level as just basic mental mistakes, you know, mistakes that um, a high school player wouldn't make, you know, in terms of base running or, or not playing these, you know, playing plays out or throwing to the wrong base, which by the way, on Sunday, he did a couple of times or over, overshot the cutoff man, you know, like those are just basic fundamentals. He knows what he's supposed to do. I mean, it's not like he doesn't know. Um, he just doesn't do it. He, I, I just, I, I, I just, he is a, he, I'm totally baffled by Eddie Rosario. I, I'll just, he, he's got a ton of talent. I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I, I think he, I, I, I think the front office is probably getting pretty tired of it. I don't know if they. Get oh, it. I think they, do. I, they have to be. There's no way that they're not. He's owed ten million. Right. He's going to be owed about ten million in arbitration next year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they trade him or or non-tender him. I don't. I don't know that they're going to give him ten million. But you know, I just yeah, just buckle up and uh, enjoy the Eddie uh, Eddie Rosario experience as much as you can, I guess. But it's just if he does that in a playoff game and it costs him a playoff game, he's never going to live it down. Hopefully, that doesn't happen. All right, quick thought for for you here. I'm going to make a statement to you that probably comes off initially as mean-spirited. I don't mean it to be. Um, I don't think it's fair to the Minnesota Twins as a team to have Williams Ostadia catch games. So I agree. He's not good defensively. Like Ryan Jeffers has turned himself into, but I, I watch guys like Jeffers and Garver who have not perfected the craft, but worked hard. And like their work is really important. They're framing pitches defensively like this team rightfully so puts a premium into that position and the step down for Ostadia is enormous it's not just sort of small to me it's enormous it is it is but but what are your options I mean you could call up Tomas Talis who's a, a journeyman uh, sort of career third catcher he's at the St. Paul site um, but I don't I mean other than that you you don't really have any options you can know he, can he defensively get by? I, I don't know a ton about Talese. I assume he's better defensively. He's got to be better defensively than Ostadio just based on how long he's, he's hung around. Um, so maybe, maybe you call him up. The, the weird thing about Ostadio is that his value comes in the fact that he can play catcher and a number of different positions. And there aren't many guys like that. The problem is he doesn't play any of those positions well. I would say he's below league average at all of these positions that he plays. So like, a lot of his value is negated by the fact that he's a below average defender at catcher, second base, third base, left field, right field. So it's like first base. I mean, he plays everything basically, but he played center field in his big league debut. Um, I, I think he's a good depth guy to have yeah. in the organization. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe you can get away with it right now. Um, but I, you know, especially with Rich Hill, it was a weird decision with Rich Hill because Rich Hill has that big loopy, uh, curveball, you know, seemingly a little bit harder to catch than some of these other guys like Pineda. I would think Pineda would be a good guy for Ostadio to catch because he doesn't have many, he's not wild. He's always in the zone. Um, but it's, it's a struggle back there for La Tortuga. There's, there's no question about it. It's just they don't have, they don't have any options. Their top two catchers are, are on the IL. Tony, I'm just, if you can, you know, frame pitches a, a, a bit. Oh, and, and the throw from left, that play has to be made. Like yeah. that, that's not a great throw. 
But it was a good enough throw, and to not make that play to at least get that ball, that's, again, to me, that's not fair if you're as good as the Twins are as a ball club, you know, and they're pretty damn good to have a guy that can't make that play consistently, and he probably can't. Last thing, what should the concern be about the fact that uh, the last two games of this homestand, Nelson Cruz has sat out with a uh, hip tightness, I believe they're classifying it as, which he tried to play through. He's 40. He's absolutely imperative to their success. I get not playing him. Um, Hip problems make me nervous. Yeah, I mean, it makes me nervous anytime Cruz sits out two games in a row. It's impossible to know the severity of the injury because the Twins are never going to tell us. You know, he could... I heard they're confident he's going to play Tuesday, Jake. Yeah, right, right. I'm, I, I'm sure you. I'm sure you took that with 100% uh, validity, right? Like, no question he's playing. Yeah, exactly right. The Twins oh, will never lie about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I'm concerned, you know, and if he doesn't play in either of the games tomorrow, I'll be – much more concerned. It's possible that they'll just say, we have a cushion here uh, and we have two days off after this doubleheader. So we'll yeah. sit loose for one more day and then he gets basically five straight days off. Um, but it, it's a concern. And if it affects his swing uh, moving forward or if it has affected his swing, because we haven't seen the power from him the last 10, 10 games or so. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so it, it could be an issue. I just, I just don't know. Um, I think with Cruz, you play it very conservatively, right? If you assume you're in now, um, yes, he needs at bats leading into the playoffs, but he needs to get healthy more than more than anything. So um, they should play conservatively. Uh, but until we see him back out there, it has to be a concern. Exactly. Right. All right, we are done. Um, we'll regroup to do another one of the uh, Squano Twins podcasts on Wednesday after the Twins play the Cardinals in the doubleheader on Tuesday and. Uh, as they go into a span of two days off before they open a home series again against Cleveland. He's Jake. I'm Judd. We will talk to you soon. Did you know that 61% of pet owners feel more prepared to be a good pet parent after testing with Embark? Embark your dog with Embark's dog DNA test to get hundreds of actionable health insights. You can be proactive with their health and work with your vet on a personalized care plan. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.